Vodka. 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 Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock. I'm your host, Amber Love, and we are going to be talking all about writing today, different kinds of writing, writing comics, writing novels, writing short stories. So, um, to get the ball rolling, though, let me tell you that there is a new Farrah Weathers mystery out by moi. There is a second book in the series, so now Cardiac Arrest and Full Body Manslaughter are available through various channels, but Amazon is probably the easiest place to find them. And you can go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked to sponsor the show and the site and my work, and you also get announcements first there before anywhere else. So Vodka O'Clock is on iTunes, Stitcher, and at amberunmasked.com. Older shows have been archived and are only available on the website. So... Joining me today for the first time are my Twitter friends are here. I love that I meet people through Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Latendre, hopefully I said that right, and Jolene Haley are both here. We're going to talk about writing and their writing partnership. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. We're happy to be here. So um, I know that... Uh, I know Brian a little bit longer than I've known Jolene, so uh, I know that we have some nerd things in common. That's true, yep. Um, you host the Secret Identity Podcast with some other folks, um, and you have a book about podcasting, so we can also talk about writing nonfiction as well, because I've done that too. But you have novels, you have, you, you have a book in the comic book world um, that I, I want to talk about um, at some point. So we will talk about the Exo Man Award that you've done. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I almost forgot about it. I was like, I do? And then do. <laughs> you're right. I do, though. Yeah, we could totally talk about that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and Jolene is the author of YA and NA, which is a new category for new adult fiction. It's usually for uh, where the protagonist is around, like, in the uh, 20s. So it's like older than YA, but whatever, apparently not old fart mysteries like I write. <laughs> um, and they, they're both horror people. So uh, you are going to hear the non-horror person talk about horror stuff. But, all horror, <laughs> um, all the time. Right, 24-7, nothing but horror. <laughs> well, what's, what's funny is I am a huge fan of the iZombie show, even though I've never read the comics. I'm sorry, it's sacrilege, I know. Um, it's so good. I, I do love the iZombie show. And it, that is the kind of horror that I can handle where it's quirky, it's fun. Like, they make her eating brains look charming, like Instagram-worthy. <laughs> it's so true, and I will admit to the same sin as well. I haven't read the comics, but I do really, really like this show. I don't think that that, that, that is that far off from the type of horror that I like, though, because I grew up on 80s horror, and there is such a vein of humor running through that that I think shows like iZombie kind of tap more into kind of like the B-horror that I really love. Um, and I think that show absolutely nails it. But I will say you totally should read the comic because I think you would love it. I probably do. I mean, because I, I follow um, one of the creators, at least, uh, Chris Roberson, online um, because, I mean, he's just really significant in comics anyway. So it's just one of those things where it's like there's no reason I never read it other than I figured, oh, it's a zombie book. I'm not going to like it. So when I was filing that, that was back in my days of filing books at the comic store, I, you know, I just assumed I wouldn't like it because I'm not like a Walking Dead is no, out of my realm, no. Yeah, I think the nice thing about the Allreds who do the art for that book is that they are, their style is just inherently charming. They're doing uh, yeah. Silver Surfer with Dan Slott now, and 
it sort of lends that same kind of tone that you see in the TV show to the book just because that's their natural style. It's awesome. I love that how the show actually has those comic book panels that, uh, you know, like it, it's in the intro and it gives in between each scene, gives a little quirky thing about what the scene is going to be about. Yeah. And they, they make it all uh, comic booky. It's so, I mean, it, it's cute. It's, you know, it's one of those things where because it's, I just finished season two and I'm not going to spoil it, but up until the very end of season two, it's really just a fun crime show that happens to have some zombies in it. Like you just, like I said, kind of see her eating brains. And I think even my mother would like it if she gave it a chance. But then at the end of season two, it's like zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, please don't lose your adorable charm. Yeah, um, I think that I'm about halfway through season two. So I'm not quite there yet. But I don't think that the show could go in a direction that I wouldn't like. Or I guess I should say the comic. I should do. I should just be quiet until I read the comic. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's, yeah, so that's where I am on horror. And you guys have a, one of your joint projects, I guess, because um, I'm not sure how many joint projects you actually all have together. But first of all, it's very cool co-writing. I've done it once and it's interesting. Um, and I'm sure for every single team, it's different. But if you could tell me about how, this um how you wrote harrowed and what your plans are for the woodsview murder series uh because i i am now part of i'm part we have a little family a little writing family together with nanowrimo it's the national novel writing month and we have our little cabin together so i felt like such an outsider i'm like you guys all know each other and you all work together <laughs> You know, and and I want to know more about what your what your projects are other than just, you know, me seeing the tweets and retweeting them. So, Jolene, do you want to tell the origin story or do you want me to tell the origin story? You can tell it. You tell it really well. So it's funny enough, our sort of origin as a writing duo came from podcasting. So I was doing a podcast from I think until about 2014, I, I did about 30 episodes of a podcast called See Brian Wright, which was basically just me reaching out to writers on Twitter and interviewing them for the podcast. I, I do the comic book stuff with my buddy, Matt Herring. That's the one that I'm probably people might know if you're in the comic book world, Secret Identity. But this writing podcast was really for me to dive into the sort of the DVD commentary side of writing, like really get into process and what tools people use and and interview authors of all different genres and things like that. And so Jolene knows everybody on the online writing community. She, uh, it seems like she it. does. She absolutely <laughs> does. Um, and I had been going to a site that she had put together with a friend of hers called Pen and Muse, which was a wonderful resource for writers. It had tons of tools around NaNoWriMo, around just writing in general. And I had followed Jolene for a while. And so I had asked her to come on the podcast to be interviewed for a show about NaNoWriMo. Like, how do you prep for it? It was for one of the camp NaNoWriMo events. So I think it was either the April or the July one. But uh, so we did that episode and we talked all about, you know, getting ready for NaNoWriMo. And she gave some great tips. I actually just reposted that on my blog, which is cbrianwright.com. I posted that episode, which is a couple years old now. But in that conversation that we had, like coming out of that, we were like, holy cow, we seem to have a lot of the same interests. We seem to like 
sort of we seem to have a similar take on horror and have the same kind of excitement for writing stories like that. Like, and Jillian said, we should write something together. And I thought she was just being nice to me, you know, saying, yeah, we should write together sometime. And then we had more conversations about it and we actually decided to write something together. Um, and so I was more than happy to write with her because I'm a huge fan of Jolene's writing and I have always been a fan of her enthusiasm and her sort of ambassadorship for positive online writing communities. That's the thing that sort of drew me to Jolene in the first place was she's always positive. She's always cheerleading for other people's projects and you know, um, you know, retweeting and putting the word out about what other people are doing. And she's just such a positive force in the online writing community that that's why I wanted to talk to her. And then our, our friendship was sort of built off of um, us sort of having a lot of the same perspectives about, you know, why we like writing and, and, and sort of how we want to approach it. So, so that was kind of the origin story of, uh, of how we decided to write together. And then Harrowed, which is the first book in the Woods View Murders, was a story that we kind of brainstormed out together because um, YA is a genre where there is, it's not that there's not horror out there, but horror is not something that's really prevalent in traditional publishing. And so we kind of wanted to bring our own unique take on horror to YA and show that it could be done and it could be fun, um, much like kind of an eye zombie, although I, I would say we're probably a little bit darker than that. But um that was kind of our our mission statement was to to really have fun and bring horror to YA and sort of show people what they were missing. And that was kind of our, our sort of initial origin story. Okay. So Jolene with, with YA, I'm sure people have their own preconceived notions about what it is and, and what it's not. And I'm sure publishers have their own definitions. So with looking for that younger audience and horror at the same, you know, and horror at the same, are you, are you making sure that you leave certain things out or do you put like a cap on how far a sexual romance situation is going to go or how much blood are you really going to describe? What is it that makes a story YA for you? Um, well, that's a really good question. I think at the bare bones of it, a story to me is uh, a YA or a young adult story when the protagonist is of the you know young adult age, which is usually around 13, 14 to you know, 17, 18. That's usually the traditional young adult story. But the nice thing is that young adult stories can capture any genre, you know, from horror to romance to mystery to you name it, there's there's a young adult book out there that, that covers it. But you're right, you know, there there are normal traditional things that YA doesn't have. You know, traditionally YA stories don't have hardcore sex scenes. Or you know, they may have, you know, uh fade to black scenes or they may have a little bit of sexiness, but you know, there's certain things that usually are considered a little bit more taboo. That doesn't mean that they don't exist. It just means that you may not find them commonly in books and or, uh, you know, traditional publishers may not want to go into that realm. They may say, you got to tone it down a little bit. But um, but I do like YA because it captures everything. You know, you do have everything that you would have in a normal adult 
book, I would say, as far as feelings and messages and storyline, it's just that the, the main character is of a teenage age. Okay, my my usual go-to example is the Harry Potter series because it has some really terrifying points to it and the heroes are, for the most part, the young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the parents play significant roles, but they're always secondary to the young kids. Uh, and we also see that in things like the Star Wars series. It's, it evolves over time and the characters do age. So, um, you know, with YA, I think I think people battle with – it's the same thing with erotica. Let me put that out there. Is it, like people have this sort of battle that they go through with, oh, you're reading a kid's book. And it's like, hey, yeah, I read Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and I thought it was a lot of fun, and it was fantastic writing. Like Ransom Riggs knows how to write a sentence. It's freaking breathtaking. So um, if somebody was – I don't know, like, didn't think at all that they could find something in YA. What would you use to introduce them? Well, I think that that's a really common misconception is that young adult books are just juvenile kids' books with no substance. And I think that's a real tragedy that that's kind of a misconception going around because there's that's the one thing I love about the YA community is that there's all these fantastic authors that are trying to bring quality stories and quality writing with, you know, all the, the spectrum of emotions and, and messages and, and themes and genres and, and maybe tough to talk about things to, to every audience, even if it's young adults or adults reading that, or, you know, even younger kids reading up. So I would say, you know, Give it a shot, and if you haven't found one you like, you know, you're just not reading the right <laughs> the right ones. Um, there's so many great books out there. You're right, Harry Potter could definitely fall into that young adult spectrum. Um, absolutely. Ransom Riggs, I mean, that's such a, a fantastic story that he's put together. I love, um, I'm trying to think of all the different ones. The book Touch by Jessica Cordo is a fantastic read. Um, anything, I'm going to botch her last name, but anything by Jennifer Larman Rout is, like, amazing. I love her writing. There's there's so many amazing authors out there that I think that if anyone actually that had a problem with young adult books actually tried to read it, they would realize how wrong they were. Do either of you know about the Voya controversy? Yeah. Okay. Brian, are you familiar with that? No, I, I am. Uh, it's funny that you, uh, you know, are kind of talking about the YA thing from, from almost like an outsider's perspective. I was totally an outsider to YA. When I met Jolene and we started talking about possibly doing something together, like all I have ever written in the fiction world is adult horror. And I am a hardcore horror fan. I grew up uh, in the 80s and have seen just about every 80s horror movie Anything from like 1965 to 1995, I've probably seen, you know, multiple times. And so I never even pictured myself writing YA. But when Jolene and I started talking, we decided that we were going to write a YA story. And she has been instrumental in educating me about YA. And my own idea of what YA was was very, I think, narrow coming into it. And now I, I absolutely love writing YA. It's not much different than what I was writing before. Um, it, I, th- I find it challenging in a different way in that you, there are things that you can fall back on 
when you when you sort of have this rated R plus you know rating in in yeah. my head that it's easy to it's easy to fall back on some things whereas I think you have to be a little bit more creative in YA and that has actually made me a better writer and so I've I've really enjoyed that but uh, but yeah that that is all Jolene Jolene is so much more knowledgeable in not only YA but in all aspects of like the publishing world and all that kind of stuff whereas uh, I'm I'm like Joe Indie writer who, you know, has no idea about oh all of God. the rules and stuff like that. That's so. not true. Like That is true. If you, I'm a, if you ask Brian, like, any horror trivia, he'll know the answer right away. He knows every single horror, 80s horror movie. He knows, like, the best 80s movies. Like, Brian is, like, the encyclopedia I wish I was. It's amazing. Yes, you I'm amazing. a repository of useless 80s knowledge. That is my superpower. <laughs> That's, that's a skill. So he's great at Trivial Pursuit. Yeah. Only the 80s edition, though. The 80s edition. Well, this, you know, it's interesting because YA has its sort of own brand and its own set of rules and expectations for publishers and for readers. And, and the reason that that we even have these categories is so that people know where to shop. They want to know. They, it's like... It's like, why is there a Starbucks in every town when there are independent coffee stores? Well, it's because people want to go from town to town and know that they're going to order a pumpkin spice latte and it's going to be exactly the same every time. So they want to know that, you know, what their expectations are and that it's going to be met when they go shopping for a book, like whether it's in the YA or like me in Cozy Mysteries. So I call my books medium boiled because my characters like to swear and that's not something you would do i guess in ya maybe you would which makes no sense to me because as a teenager my mouth was just as filthy oh there's plenty of cussing in ya okay so that was you know that's like my own um you know idea like i figured it had to be like really clean i'm like if i i've been flat out told by agents you know that i cannot have my characters swear in cozy mysteries which is about adults And I'm like, have you been around adults? Like, are what? How old are you? <laughs> have you ever talked to another human before? <laughs> yeah, happens. I'm like, I'm like, clearly you have never been in New Jersey traffic a day in your life. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things that that's part of conversation for a lot of people. And I do try to clean it up, obviously, when I'm when I'm in certain company, if I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, be professional. But I, I do find that it really tends to be sexist that men can have whatever kind of language they want but the second that i start swearing i'm looked at like you know like oh my god she's so unprofessional it's like well whatever you know then i obviously don't fucking want to work for you i guess <laughs> i'm with you on that i i tend to have a mouth of a sailor and not even realize it until someone goes jolene <laughs> really yeah. i'm like oh sorry Ugh. whoops so with the, the Voya controversy, what it what it was, and, and the reason I had asked about um, sexual relationships is because it was apparently, and, I, and, I, and it was a book I didn't read, so you can fill the listeners in on that. It was simply mentioned in a book that a character was gay and was attracted to somebody else. And the review was significant because it's – the type of professional publication where um, people that stock libraries, for example, go to and will base their buying decisions on. So uh, the uproar is that the sheer fact of being gay does not make something adult content. It doesn't suddenly make it erotica. It doesn't make it X-rated. You know, like gay kids exist. They exist at age three. Like, it's okay. 
Now that yeah. you mention it, I do know that that was the one where where it was labeled controversial, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I do remember that now. Yeah, and it was one of those things where you know, it was like, oh, you know, you know, sort of like read it, you know, read it before you give it to to the kids and it's like, well, duh, you should do that with anything if you're a parent, I guess. I don't know. Thing- I mean, I, I Go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. It's just it's one of those things where you like like I have a, I have a set of Nancy Drew books in the other room. And, you know, everything was Mr. So-and-so and Mrs. So-and-so and prim and proper. And I never, ever have to worry, reading a Nancy Drew book, worry about, like, her being raped. You know, like, it's just one of those things where it was written back, you know, 40 years ago. And people just didn't talk about that stuff. And they didn't write about that stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I, today's kids are totally different. And they're so aware. And they're, you know, the reason that, uh, like, in politics, that it's such a big deal about there's this this weird idea that oh we're just producing more gray uh, more gay kids and it's like no we're not making we're not birthing more gay kids like this is not, not what's happening here and i think that's part of the ridiculousness of saying hey there's a gay character we have to suddenly make this like not a, a young adult book that the whole thing was very and i i'm sure that other people can express their feelings much better than i can on it but i just found it so sad and upsetting that in the first place this company Voya you know they call themselves the voice of youth advocates and they have the gall to basically point out that being bisexual you know it 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 should come with a warning label you know implying almost that there's something innately wrong with it and at the bare bones of it you know being bisexual or however you identify you know that's not a something you can choose it's something you're born with it's something you're born like and there's nothing wrong with however you identify i mean that's whoever you are whoever you like it's okay that that's part of being human it's in our very nature and that really really troubled me because the last thing you know when we're writing our books we're writing for us but we're also writing for our audience and we're hoping that that audience is also young adults and to have a a young adult read that thinking, wow, I'm bisexual and that seems like it's wrong. Like that's just, that's horrible because that's completely wrong. That's, that's not acceptable to me to be putting that message out. And actually Brian and I's story does have, you know, somebody who identifies as not traditionally um, heterosexual in our stories. And I think that that's, we wanted to add that because we wanted it to be realistic because not everybody is quote unquote straight. And that's totally awesome. You do you, you know? Right. And that's, yeah. So that's part of um, where I think there's academic uproar and even parental groups and stuff like that. They sort of get in a huff. So with, you know, with YA horror, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what kind of parent I'd be. It's like double controversy, right? Yeah, so it's like, so are the girls going to be running around in their underwear just like they do in 80s horror you know, and every other horror? Like, this I'm is- glad that you asked that because I think that when you when you write horror, you sort of get used to, I don't want to say controversy, but just the, the thing that it's sort of, um, there are elements of horror that are not for everyone, right? So you already know going into horror that you sort of have a niche audience because you that's that's a particular genre that that there are things that people really like about it and there are things that people don't like about it there are a ton of tropes when it comes to 80s horror some of which um 
you know, you, you could argue maybe are necessary and many which are very unnecessary. And I think when it comes to the stories that Jolene and I write, um, we try to take the elements of 80s horror that were sort of iconic, like the slasher. You know, we have we have the Woodsview Harvester, who is the slasher in our books. And, and so we know that that was an element that we wanted to include in our book. We wanted to have the sort of hardened and jaded detective that has kind of the heart of gold. And so we have we have that element in our, you know, in our books. Um, and we wanted to have the the sort of unsuspecting kids who are dealing with this killer that's targeting them sort of one by one. And so we have that element in our books as well. Um, but we don't have the element of there being, you know, uh, over sexualized content in it or or that being um, that that sort of lewdness being a key element to the story. Like that's the kind of stuff that is kind of unnecessary and, and is not part of our story. But um, but we wanted to sort of take the elements of those 80s movies that that made us horror fans in the first place and sort of play them up. And, and certainly um, I hope that we did a good job of that, you know, in our story. But in terms of controversy, yeah, I think horror is also, is always going to court some controversy. And then when you're trying to do a horror story that is YA, you are sort of walking a little bit more of a tightrope just in terms of content, not necessarily from a sexual nature, but more more of like the graphic nature that a lot of 80s horror is associated with in terms of gore and sort of over the top you know, violence and things like that. And so that's where you kind of have to get a little bit more creative. But um, but to go back to what you guys were talking about before, like for me, one of the things I love about YA is that you are sort of writing about a time where people are figuring out who they are. And that to me has been one of the most fun aspects of YA to write with Jolene because she's so good at that. She's such, she has such a great voice for, for young adult in, in terms of that, that just sort of, um, her writing speaks to me in that way. And for me, it's kind of a, this nostalgia trip to go back and think about that particular time, um, you know, in my own life. But I, that's kind of what I really enjoyed the most about writing YA is, is the, the whole, um, the time in your life that it brings back as you're writing it. So how do you guys actually work as a team logistically when, you know, um, so, you know, somebody actually has to be responsible for the, the typing part, but there's, you know, I don't know if you guys are outliners or, or you know, I, you did mention brainstorming together. So how do you logistically work together? Well, Brian's on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast, so we've actually never met in person. So we spend a lot of our time sitting in uh, Google Docs together and uh usually on the weekends since i kind of have a crazy work schedule we'll try to catch up on weekends and you know even if that means just talking about a general idea of a story or um you know if there's like a scene we're struggling with we'll literally sit together and talk it through but i feel like a lot of our communication is like digital you know it's it's twitter or google docs or email or texting um i don't know would you say that, Brian? Yeah, definitely. We, it's weird because like there's this great element of discovery in the way that Julian and I write together. Whereas like she's obviously up a lot later than I am because she's on the West Coast, so she'll be writing at night, and then I'll jump in the next day and I start my writing session by reading the stuff that she wrote the night before. And so it's almost like we're 
writing this story for each other, and each of us is reading bits and pieces of it every day. And so that's really kind of a cool element of working together. And then in terms of like fleshing out ideas and stuff like that, we do do a lot of brainstorming up front. We'll talk on Skype, we'll talk on Google Hangouts, we'll have a document that we're both working in. And I think where where we usually start is we start with our characters. And the thing that I love the most about writing with Jolene, and I there's a lot of things I love about writing with Jolene, but the thing that I love the most about writing with Jolene is that I've never worked with anyone who sees a character in exactly the same way that I do in, in before I worked with Jolene. Like we just know our characters. When we sit down and we flesh out a character and we decide these are going to be the major players in our story, like we just click in terms of the voice of that character and what's going on inside their head and everything from what kind of music they like to what their aspirations are to you know, all of that stuff. And so that makes working together a lot easier because we trust each other completely with our characters. And so, um, so we don't outline like a lot of people outline, like we, we do not outline all the chapters. We do not outline every single story beat. Like we have a lot of big picture ideas of what we want to have happen in the story. And we make the big decisions together and things like that. But there's a lot of filling in the blanks along the way. And I think that's where the trust comes in. And that is just built from us really feeling like we each have just a, a crystal clear idea of who our characters are. So when one person has made the, you know, an update to your document um, and then the next day, like you said, the next day you go and you, you look at it. Are you going to, when you go back and read it, do you automatically start making some markup changes like, um, you know, how, how a sentence reads? Do you just like correct as you go or is that stuff saved for later? I try to do both when I go through it. Like I, there's a lot of things I really love about working with Brian too, but one of my favorites is that there's really no, um, What's the word? Uh, rules. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, no rules, but no like um, thing. What's the word? You know, just like uh, nobody's going to be upset if we come through and say, I don't like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, There's no ego around any yeah, of Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was the word. Like no ego at all. So if I go through and I'll write something down and he comes through and says like, I don't know about this or I was thinking this, like – it's no problem. I don't mind. I want us to both like the story. And usually, you know, the other person has just the best interest of the story in mind and has, is coming from a different view if there's some type of disagreement. But honestly, like for the most part, we've never had one. (laughs) It's just like, oh yeah, hey, that's a really good idea. And I love, I love that about Brian, that there's no problem with like the craziest idea I can think of. And I'll tell him and he's like, oh yeah, we definitely have to do that. Like the the Woodsview murder story is going to go bananas in a few books, and it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. But, but and yeah, ridiculous. And, it's so yeah, ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, it's but, like it's like all those '80s slasher series. Like by the time they got to the sixth or seventh <laughs> sequel in the series, like stuff is happening in space, and there's all kinds of like <laughs> it's going to be absolutely crazy. But yeah, it's. Uh, you you go Highlander. Oh yeah, we go absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Like people people. <laughs> will not even believe where that series is going to go. And, uh, but I think, you know, uh, when I, in writing with Jolene, Jolene is a, is a better writer than I am, uh, no, in false. terms of 
the craft, she will argue this, but I will tell you, she is a much better writer than I am in terms of the craft. And our styles, I think, are very complementary. Like, uh, I write very point A to point B. So if you were to give me a story to write, I have to write it from beginning to end. I can't start in the middle. I can't start with a particular scene. Like, I have to, I, I just sort of start from blank page and I go. Jolene is really good at coming up with these tentpole scenes. So she'll like, and we'll talk about it in chat or she'll send me a text or whatever about like, well, what do you think about this? Or, you know, or, or when we start a project, she'll, she'll um, have a feel for a particular scene and she'll just write that scene. Even if that scene is five chapters from now. And I really like connecting the dots from point A to point B. And so what's kind of cool about the way that we write, and we're doing it right now for our NaNoWriMo project. Like if Jolene has a scene that she wants to write, she just goes and writes it. And the cool thing is, is like, I will build up to that and I will build after that. And then, or maybe I'll add a scene in here or there or something else. And so we have a very sort of organic way of writing. And the things that I like to do sort of complement the things that she likes to do. And so that makes that piece of it interesting. And I think it's really helpful because we can't always write at the same time. Like the, the amount of times that we're in the document together, and actually writing at the same time are few and far between. Like we'll pop into a document now and again just to touch base or be like, oh, I thought of this thing yesterday. Or, you know, we talked about the character doing this, but what if they do this? And so we're constantly bouncing ideas off of each other, but we don't get to write together that often. So having that sort of ebb and flow, that organic um, way of approaching a story, I think works really well for us because we're often writing at very different times of the day. I'm just really grateful that Brian puts up with all my shit <laughs> because it's really true. Like most people would just, it would drive them crazy to have someone pop in and all of a sudden write a scene five chapters ahead. They'd be like, what the hell are you doing? But good old Brian just like going with the full like, No problem. I'll write up until this scene. He's the most, like his strengths for writing really balance my weaknesses because I'm a total panster when it comes to writing and NaNoWriMo. I don't like to plan. I don't like to plot. I don't have set times a day that I write. And, like, Ryan is the polar opposite. You know, he writes every morning before work at a certain time. Like, he wakes up at the butt crack of dawn to make it happen. And he writes from A to B. And he likes to plot. And I'm just so different from that. But it just works out in such a wonderful way. Plus, he's really patient. <laughs> But like Jolene will give me something to shoot for. Like the the book that we're writing right now is uh, is a fun book actually, and different. I think different than what we've written oh, to yeah. this point because it's really not horror. It's more of an adventure story. And you mentioned Nancy Drew. We are both huge Nancy Drew fans, and um, and I think you'll see that you see that in the Woodsview books. You'll see that in the Orchard Point series that we have coming up, and you'll definitely see it in this series that we're working on now. But there's a scene that Jolene wrote that is sort of uh, a little bit further along in the story, not that far along, but it gives me something to shoot for. So for me, it's, it's a great framing device of like, okay, the last thing I wrote was here. This is where Jolene's scene is. So now I can build to that. And, and it gives me an outline without having a point by point outline, because I know the point that I'm getting to. And a lot of times I sort of describe myself as like a signposter. Like I don't, I, I am mostly a pantser when it comes to NaNoWriMo but I do have these sort of signposts out there of like major things that I want to accomplish or major story beats that I know I'm going to write to and write around. And Jolene is awesome at creating those scenes. And so, you know, between her 
strong vision for these different scenes and my ability to sort of fill in the gaps between one and another, it just, it works very well that way. Jolene, I'm curious, do you have a background in uh, role-playing games? I don't. I don't. I like I them, just, but I, I... I was just wondering, because he, you know, he credits you so much with uh, your characterizations, and that's one of the, you know, really key things in the RPGs is, you know, you get to you get to build your character. You know and... who does, though? Brian. Do yeah, you? Yeah, I'm a total D&D well, nerd. Such, you're, I was going to say, you're just a big old nerd. I am a super big yeah, nerd, yeah. and... Uh, Grew up playing uh, D&D. I think I bought the original Redbox D&D basic rule set off of the older brother of a kid that I went to elementary school with, probably when I was in like fourth grade. And so I am a huge fan of um, role-playing games. And, and in particular, I'm a huge fan of world building. And so mm-hmm. this is another place I think where Jolene and I just work really well together. She has such a strong vision for characters and and by the way, like we we both have a lot of similarities in this stuff, but like she she is really great at characters, and I feel like I'm really good at place. And so when you put the two of the things that we do together, like, and she's great at place too, and I'm good at characters too. But when you put those two things together, like I really like diving into um, what makes a place feel lived in and what makes a place feel like home. And and you know we joke all the time that if there was a genre that described my writing, it would be like eating and hanging out. That's my genre. <laughs> Like every book that I write, every story that I write, there are diners and coffee shops and drive through places and pizza shops and eating scenes and hanging out and talking scenes. And like that, those are the things that I really probably like too much to write. And so when you take strong characters and you put in there, it's like it is a bit like those role playing games, like it, it like we're we're sort of setting up these worlds and then um, creating these characters that we feel are really fleshed out and then just sort of having them interact with this world. And, uh, and yeah, but if, if I was left to my own devices, it would literally just be people going through their daily routine of mundane activities <laughs> and hanging out and talking to one another. And that would be all my stories. <laughs> Which is entertaining to read, by the way. Well, let's talk about NaNoWriMo, since all three of us are, are doing it. And we've, you know, we met in the one of the, you know, we teamed up because of the monthly challenge, which I, you know, like failed miserably, but I just wanted to sort of talk to people while I was writing every day. Um, how long have you guys been doing it? Because this is my third year. Um, geez, you've probably been doing it longer than I have, Jolene, right? Like eight, eight years, I think. I want to say eight for NaNoWriMo. I could be wrong, but that sounds right to me. Eight-ish years. I don't know. Brian, I want to say like six or seven for me. I think I... I think 07 or 08 was my first year, and I think I might have missed one in between there sometimes, but I've done some of the camp events too. So, yeah, I guess maybe around the same time then. Yeah, eight years. And the first year I failed miserably. It was really great. Like, I almost had an emotional breakdown because I was like, <laughs> well, like, when you, you know, you, you set out trying to, like, make magic happen, and you're, like, so determined, and then you realize, like, you're failing miserably. At least that was my first experience. I've since done a lot better and figured out how to do it, but but uh, my first NaNoWriMo was just awful. <laughs> Well, it's good that you came back, though, because I think a lot of people, and, you know, when we talk about failing it, it just means that you didn't get 50,000 words in. It doesn't mean that you failed at, at, at writing your story because, you, you know, most of, most people have to finish it later. Right. Like, you know, nobody, nobody has a polished book in a month. Right. So 
um, at least you came back. So what was it that brought you back? Um, just I wanted to I wanted to win. I wanted to win, meaning I wanted to get to fifty thousand words. I, you know, I had been wanting to write a novel since. You know, as a kid, I always wrote books, like short stories. And then as a teenager, I was told I wasn't a good writer by a teacher. And I put books away for a long time. Like, I would read them, but I would never write them. But I wanted to. But I just kept saying, no, you can't. You're not good enough. You can't do it. And then finally in in college, I decided, you know what? This whole NaNoWriMo thing, I'm going to give it a shot. I can totally do this. I'll sock it to that teacher in my head. And I totally failed and didn't finish. And so I thought, (laughs) she's right. She's right. I can't do this, you know. And then I thought, you know, it took me about a year to, like, get the gusto back to try it again. And I just thought, okay, how did I fail last time? Well, I didn't set a writing schedule. I didn't set goals for myself. I was doing it alone. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand a story arc. And then, um, you know, the next year I thought, I just, I have to do it. Like, for myself, I have to, I just have to. And so I, I won. I won the next year. I set a writing schedule, and I convinced a, my roommate at the time to do it with me and, uh, you know, practiced story arcs. And they even have, I don't know if anyone's looked at it, but the office of, is it the Office of Letters and Lights that runs yep. NaNoWriMo? They have a whole, like, writing guide that's for high school kids and middle school and, and elementary school that you can download for free or donate to. And so I I bought the high school guide or, you know, I gave a small donation, whatever I could afford at the time and, and, uh, downloaded that. And it really helped me flesh out my first book. So that's kind of how it, how it happened. And it felt so good after winning the second time that I thought, well, heck, I'm going to keep doing this. And hell, you know, I have a, a whole book in a month. It's not great yet, but it's a whole book. That's awesome. More than I had before. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I think that's the thing. Like there's, uh, you like even the the professional writers that I've gone to uh, Mystery Writers of America workshops and I've seen these these people talk. Even if they do write a whole novel in a month, which is not necessarily where the hard part is, it's the polishing part. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's different in, in, in certainly today than I guess it, it was previously because now there's a lot more independent writers like going the. Um, Amazon create space and Kindle route like I do and and you guys do. So um, it's, I'm sure a completely different schedule when it's your own versus when you have galleys to send back and forth and editors to answer to. And, you know, somebody doesn't like this one thing and you wrote it a year ago. (laughs) Um, So for me, it's a really a much quicker process than I thought possible. And part of that is, um, though, is because my schedule allows it, uh, you know, so I don't know, Brian, what's your schedule really like? Like how long does it take for you to get something from start to finish? Um, my schedule is crazy right now because I, I write as Jolene said early in the morning, because that's really the only time that I can reliably set aside for writing every day. And so I, you know, work a nine to five job. And so I will get up at around five in the morning and I usually get about an hour of writing in or so on a good day. Um, in the mornings we have two kids, we have dogs, we're babysitting a dog this week. So that's a whole new adventure on top of that. Um, (laughs) so yeah, so I usually set aside that time because the weekends too, with the kids sports and stuff like that is not 
always reliable. And um, I find writing in the morning is easier for me than writing late at night because in the morning I'm just more clear-headed and I can just sort of uh, go at it. Um, for my own stuff that I've written by myself, I've come close to finishing drafts. Like, I, I, And I've won the nano thing. I've done the 50,000 words things several times. But uh, my novels are anywhere between... 50 and like 80,000 words or so, you know, for my, for my solo sort of horror stuff. And all of those, I kind of came out of a nano event with a good working draft up. Um, and then usually it will be a few months of polishing it up and stuff like that. Um, the very first one I did though, that I actually hit 50,000 words, I put that book on the shelf for like four years and I had written it. I had met the challenge. I was happy. I had gotten like a proof copy. You know how they do the rewards for Nano. One of them was you get a copy from CreateSpace for free. So I got a print copy of my book for free. And I still have that original proof copy sort of sitting on my shelf today. Um, But I didn't put it out there. And so it wasn't until I got ready to write another book that I decided I was going to take the first one and actually do something with it. So the, the writing part the getting that first draft done part um, has not been the problem for me. It's the actually doing something with that story afterwards that has been the problem for me. And that's, again, working with Julian is an absolute dream because my when I edit, my my mind always goes to structural issues, not in terms of even pacing, but just in terms of like, does the story work? Um, uh, does this thing in chapter 40 that I'm talking about now it, does the callback work to chapter four when I set these events up or this character said this or that kind of stuff. And so I'm very sort of nuts and bolts when it comes to that of making sure like all the dots stay connected and, you know, all the, uh, all those things make sense from a logical standpoint. And then Jolene is fantastic at pacing. And as we mentioned before, because my genre is hanging out and eating, there's a lot of stuff in our stories where, it could really sort of bog down and slow down. And Jolene's really good at being able to come in and clean that stuff up. And and, um, she's also wonderful at taking the sort of boring sentences that I write and making them sound really awesome. And so she'll go through and and, uh, in our editing phase, like I'm kind of focusing on structural things of like, did, did we explain this before and does it make sense now? And Jolene is making all of our stuff sound better than it originally did, and also um, really doing a great job with pacing. And so, again, much like the writing process, we kind of feed off of each other as we go through and hopefully come out the other end with a story that people like, which for Harrowed certainly seemed to be the case. Well, when when you've gotten to the point of being finished and now you're ready to publish, um, it's it's obviously different for me because I not uh, the only person that I'm working with is an artist and luckily he's extremely fast. So when I'm like, Hey, I need a cover. It's like, boom, done. Um, but when one of the things that I noticed with your books is you've got a, a good number out there and you have a broad range of prices. Like they go from 99 cents to six ninety nine. So how do you make those determinations like that production level decision about things like your covers and your prices and um you know like how many are you going to put out each year um i feel like we usually just have a a good conversation one of us will throw out a suggestion and then the other one likes it It, it's pretty laid back i think if anybody was a fly on the wall in the room they'd be like this is so uneventful (laughs) (laughs) because it's just like hey i think that maybe uh, we should do like 2.99 
okay, yeah, I think that's good. You know what I mean? It's just pretty, it's pretty laid back. Brian and I, when we first started writing, like, our goal wasn't to become millionaires. Uh, our goal was to write. It is a, now. Now we yeah, want to be millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. Now we want to be millionaires. But at the time, our, our sites were low, and we just wanted to tell a good story. You know, our goal was to tell a good story and make our books accessible and reasonably priced for the average reader. You know, when I was a teenager, I didn't have a lot of money to go out and buy books. You know, I had an after-school job, but I wasn't rolling in the dough. So right now, Harrowed, which is our first book in the Woodsby Murder series, it's 99 cents. You know, yes, you know, I would say that we're definitely not making the money for the book, each copy that's sold, with the amount of time we put into it. But it's not really about that. It's it's getting the story out to the people who are looking for a good story to tell or a, a good story to read. Um, same thing with cover artists and design. I'll kind of say like, uh, hey, I think we should do this. Or Brian will say, hey, what about this person? And then we'll give them a shot. So we have a cover designer that did the Woods uh, the Woodsview Murder series covers, and there's a same she's the same cover artist Hang Lee that did. Orchard Point series, and we've used her for several of our covers, and we really like her. She does amazing work. Like, she's just like a wizard with uh, with Photoshop. So, I don't know. I feel like it's just a group, a group decision. I don't know, Brian. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think for – I think when Harold first came out, it was two ninety nine. I want to say, right? And, um, yeah. And so, you know, the, the idea is that after it's been out for a while, we'll drop the price down to hopefully get people excited for the second book. And so when the second book comes out – um, I'm going to guess that it won't be more than 2.99 because yeah, we'll, it'll probably be around, you know, the same, uh, the same price range. And hopefully people will pick up the first book and, and enjoy that. And we've made Harold free on a number of occasions through different promotions on Amazon and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so that, that I think is, uh, a situation where we're, we're sort of going with what the average prices are out there and wanting to get people interested in the story. And Jolene has, Jolene found, um, Hang Lee, who is just absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, the covers that she's done for our books are absolutely stunningly gorgeous. So we're, we're super excited about that. My other solo books, I have a buddy, uh, Jeff Rogers, who is a designer and I do some copywriting work for him and he's done covers for me on some of my solo books. And so those all have sort of a similar aesthetic. Um, and with those books, uh, that is why they have a very distinct, different, sort of style than the ones that Jolene and I have done. And uh, I could not be happier with the, with the cover for Harrow, the cover for Haunted, the cover for Orchard Point. Like they're all absolutely amazing. But yeah, process wise, we just sort of kick around the idea of what, what we think we should price the book at. And it's usually around standard stuff. The, the only book I have that I think is slightly more expensive now is the podcasting one. And part of it is because it's, um, it's just a different kind of book. And and it's sort of a, it's a different format too than than the other books, so it's a little bit different. But most of the other stuff I think is within that ninety nine cent to two ninety nine sort of uh, price range. I'm glad that you you brought up the podcasting book. Um, shout out to the you know Thomas Boatwright who actually has been doing my cover art because he's amazing. But that was one of the things that I I wanted was consistency and how you know uh, books in a series looked, and we met by working on comics together. So. Um, but you brought up the, you know, the nonfiction book. It's a guide to podcasting. And um, I have a similar book, not about podcasting, but I have a book about witchcraft in the works, and that's nonfiction. And I have um, a nonfiction book. Um, 
previously out. That was actually my first book. It's more like half memoir, half etiquette guide in talking to women. <laughs> um, and it's the writing of nonfiction feels completely different for me. So what, you know, what was it that compelled you to write a book about podcasting? Uh, so what happened with that is that, um, and you've been you've got over sixteen hundred episodes of of uh, vodka clock, and so you know what it's like to have a podcast that has been going on for some time. Especially when you know, like when Matt and I first started doing Secret Identity back in two thousand six. It was like March of two thousand six. Um, there was Comic Geek Speak, and there was a couple of other shows, and there wasn't a ton of comic book podcasts, you know, back in the day. And so we, oh yeah, I don't have that many. I just number them based on the year. <laughs> so 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 now we've been doing it for ten. It'll be 11 years in March, I think, is when is uh, that we've been doing Secret Identity now. And, and I was an idiot when we first started doing it because I was numbering the episodes um, by halves. And so we would do episode five and then episode 5.5 and then episode six and 6.5. So we actually have over a thousand episodes that That's we've wild. done, but we just officially published our 750th, I think. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know what my tally is because I actually started on YouTube. Like I actually, for whatever reason, did like the harder version yeah. first. <laughs> I, I I had better software. I don't know why, but you know, but Windows changed what it would roll out right. with, you know, with their standard uh, loading stuff. So, yeah. So I used to do YouTube like back then. That's how I started. But yeah, it was like the Wild just, West back then, right? Because there there yeah. was uh, there was just not as many podcasts out there. And I, and I got into listening to podcasts because I was a big fan of screensavers and tech TV and all that kind of stuff. And um, and so when Leo Laporte founded Twit and started doing a bunch of podcasts, I was big into it. And I had met Matt because he was a comic book store owner at the time. And I had been out of comics for a number of years and got back into it and met him at the store that he used to run. And we were hanging out and watching Battlestar Galactica together on Friday nights. And then when that was over, we wanted to keep our Friday nights. So we decided to start doing a podcast. And that's how um, Secret Identity started. But as we got a ton of interviews under our belt. And as we got a lot of shows under our belt and we were going to comic shows all over the East coast and we had started to do some panels and stuff like that, I would get emails from time to time from people who were starting their own podcast and they would ask, you know, about equipment or they'd ask about format or they'd ask about whether or not they should have a co-host or that kind of stuff. And so I found myself writing these, you know, 2000 plus word emails back to people because I'm, as you can see, I, once I start talking, it's I'm just blathering on and sort of vomiting out all of this information. And so uh, eventually I decided that I would take some of that content and start to try to write a podcasting guide for people who wanted to get into podcasting, didn't have a ton of money, were overwhelmed by the amount of choices that were out there, and just wanted to get themselves up and running and put out a good quality show. And so that's kind of where I approached the podcast book thing from is like, here's the stuff that we've learned over the past six or seven years. I think I put it out in like 2013. Um, here's what we've learned. Here's where we screwed up. Here's what makes sense for our show. Here are some options for you and options that you can use that won't break the bank. And so that was kind of the the goal of putting out the um, the podcast book. And you mentioned cover art before, like the, the cover for that's not a great cover. And it's funny because my buddy Jeff did the cover for that book. And what we were trying to go for at the time was kind of this recipe feel like these are the ingredients because people used to call our show um, solid gold ear candy 
And so we, we talked about naming the book, the audio confectioner's guide, like how to make solid gold ear candy, that kind of stuff. And so the, the whole thing was supposed to be like a sandwich sign and the aesthetic didn't really come across in the cover. And so I might actually recover that book when I update it, but um, that was an example of sort of a miss with the cover that a lot of people, it didn't, didn't grab people right off the bat. So um, when I go to shows, I, I tend to sell a few copies of that, but it's not, it's not something that really grabs people's eyes on uh, on Amazon or anything like that. But uh, but yeah, that's why I got into the nonfiction thing was just because we would often talk about making podcasts with other people, and I started writing some of that stuff down. Do you feel that it's you're going to need to update at some point simply because of technology? Oh, totally. Like it was it, some parts of the good thing is that I tried to make the book not tech heavy because I knew that that stuff evolved so quickly. Like, you know, the, the, a lot of that book is about the thought process behind creating a podcast, why you want to do it, what you want the format to be, whether or not you should use a co-host, what makes sense for your show, um, how to go about interviewing people, that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's more nuts and bolts on that. And there is tech stuff in it and it's mostly around editing and things like that. But the same tool that I used for that, which was Audacity, is the same tool I use now to edit podcasts, which is Audacity. And I put it in there because it is open source software and because it is, you know, free for people to use. And I, and I think um, so that stuff doesn't necessarily need to be updated. But in terms of like podcasting platforms, when I put that out, Spreaker wasn't big yet. Stitcher wasn't really big yet. SoundCloud had just started to offer a beta version of their podcasting tools. And so there are a couple of chapters in that book that are not necessarily obsolete at this point, but definitely out of date. So yeah. Um, and, and YouTube really hadn't become what it is right now, even though you right now it's not, now it's like this professional thing where there's subscriptions and like real channels, totally. like, you know, networks, actual, you know, actual networks and uh, singers have like, you know, have their own official things on, on YouTube and Vio, Vivo and stuff. It's like, it's like, holy crap. We're just like, you know, grassroots people talking about yeah. comics and shit. Yeah. So like that <laughs> stuff know? wasn't, uh, is not spoken to very much at all in the book. So there is definitely some places where I would like to go back and, and update it, but the, a lot of the content in it luckily is sort of evergreen. So, um, so I haven't had to go and update it, but there's definitely some, some updates. And, and in the back, there was a lot of like suggested podcasts that I listened to and half of them don't exist anymore. So like, even just that, <laughs> yeah, kind of that's stuff, how it goes, you know, yeah. uh, even that kind of stuff, I, I want to go back and update, but, but yeah, I but have, that was, that was fun. I have to say that I, I really, really wanted to start a podcast because I became podcast obsessed and I just, I've never done video editing or uh, podcast editing at all. And I didn't, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. And thank God, Brian sent me a copy of his book and it's, it's fantastic. Making ear candy is a really uh, helpful and insightful read. If anyone's looking for like the the dummies guide on how to do it because it helped me figure it out. And really, I don't think I would have been able to otherwise, <laughs> otherwise. So it's, it is a fantastic book, Brian. Oh, thanks partner. Well, you have, um, you do have experience though doing podcasting Jolene. So that's well, you now know, I do. But how I, you do. I didn't before. I didn't before I read that. Um, one of the things that I actually wanted to talk to you about too, is because you also have experience with anthologies and, um, I've been fortunate enough to, to be in a few comic book and prose anthologies. So, um, but I didn't have to do like 
the the heavy work I got to write. I got to just write and, and send my stuff in. Um, so what's your experience been with anthologies? Oh, I love anthologies. I really do. Um, I've put out a few anthologies myself. I've put out um, the Dark Carnival, which was the first anthology I ever put out with Pen and Muse that was basically a nod to Ray Bradbury and Something Wicked This Way Comes, where all the stories had to be centered around a dark carnival coming to town. And then um, a year after that, I put out the next one, Halloween Night Trick or Treat. That was all the stories had to revolve around, uh, you know, taking place on Halloween night, sinister things happening. And then um, this upcoming year, we have a pizza-thology, the first ever pizza-themed <laughs> story anthology uh, which is going to be forthcoming. So um, anthologies are fun. They're a lot of work to put together, but they're really, really, really fun. I, I don't think I knew really what I was doing the first one I ever put out. So God love the people that put up with me as I <laughs> as I uh, grasped my way in the dark on how to do it. But um, now it now it feels easy. It feels easy and fun. Okay. Well, from a you know position of you acting as the publisher. Yes. Are you um, are you working out any situations uh, where you're sharing rights with people? Are they just maintaining all of their rights? Are you doing Kickstarters to print books? What are you doing? So right now, all of our anthologies are only um, ebooks. They're not actual physical copy books. Um, I don't maintain any of the rights with the anthologies I've done so far. I, um, you know, all the authors have gotten to keep their rights. So there are specific things in the contract that I ask, but, um, you know, like I ask them uh, to not publish their work again for a few months um, after I've put it out because I do pay all my authors. Uh, the Dark Carnival, I think, was more of a, a volunteer anthology. Like we had a bunch of authors just wanted to get their stories in an anthology together so that one was like my first one nobody made money off that the book is for sale on amazon but all the proceeds are going to charities so nobody's actually making money on that but halloween night trick-or-treat and our forthcoming one which is a pizza uh a pizza my heart pizza <laughs> anthology <laughs> oh one meal yeah um that one all the authors have been paid for their work and um and they're a for-profit thing um, so it just kind of varies on, on what I do, but I, I try not to ask for more rights than are needed. You know what I mean? I don't mind if another, uh, if authors want to republish their work somewhere. I feel like if you've got a good story, really at the end of the day, I just want people to be able to read a good story. Okay. That's one. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it's diverse. It's a, it's a, you know, it's an interesting situation. I've mostly done them for charity projects, like you've said, but I, I did do one that was, um, you know, for profit, but it's, it's one of those situations where even with a ton of people involved and even with somebody who's a pretty, you know, solid, but small publisher, you know, at this point, like some of the things are, are out of print and it's just because nobody could, you know, maintain any kind of inventory or anything like that. So, uh, you know, unless a big order comes in of, hey, I need 100, can we redo this and get, you know, really, you know, get some more cases made, then it's like, yeah, sure. But um, 
but I just have enjoyed it because I've just loved, you know, I've loved seeing like my story next to somebody else. Like, this is so cool. Like, Hey, my story's in the same book as uh, Harlan Ellison. And you know, what the hell? And Jolene, <laughs> Jolene really is this, this is one of the things that I love the most about Jolene. And so those books that she just mentioned are ones that you can get on, on Amazon and stuff like that. But pretty much at least once a year, Jolene holds an event on her site that is themed just like those anthologies. So we just got finished with the Haunted Hotel, which was a theme of this old creepy hotel, and everybody's stories had to uh, revolve around that particular concept. She did one about the Dark Harvest, where something had to revolve around the harvest. She did one about uh, Valentine's Day. And so Jolene, one of Jolene's superpowers, because she has many, but one of them is to attract very cool people who not only are good writers, but are cool people that want to be a part of these events that she does. And she has a knack for bringing people together in the online writing community like nobody else I've ever seen. And that's what um, first uh, sort of made me want to work with her. When you look at the group that's in our NaNoWriMo cabin, a lot of them have been a part of these different events that Jolene has done over time. And that's how we've come to know each other and stuff like that. And so she is always bringing people together, whether it's for, you know, an official book that we're going to put out or one of these blog events. But there's always something brewing that is something that people want to be a part of. And that's that's one of the awesome things about um, being around Jolene in the writing community is that she's always pushing for people to get their stories out there, which is just awesome. I paid well, Brian to say nice things about me. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. You have a very nice website. It's easy to follow and navigate and stuff. So, um, yeah, I did see the Haunted Hotel listing on there because I had seen it when you put out the post originally with the, you know, submissions were being sought. Um, and, I, you know, at that point I was like, I, I actually thought that it was sort of people who were already familiar like working in the same world and I, and I wasn't sure what it was so I probably should have just asked but I but I was like oh they must all be sort of like you know writing a short story about this particular universe where something exists where you know but I didn't know what it was it's I think it's I do have to say that I like it because it's open submissions for artists and illust uh, artists and authors and like you know, we have such a wide variety of people that want to have their stories told, that want to tell a good story. And I think it's unique in the sense that a lot of times it's like, you know, it can feel like an exclusive club sometimes where you have people telling the stories in this little thing, but they're only agented authors or they're only published authors or they're only, you know, this is like anybody is welcome. If you have a story you want to tell and you sign up within the time you're supposed to, even if you've never written anything before in your life or you've never drawn anything before in your life, you can get your work out there. And I think that's why I like it because you, you really step back and realize like, holy crap, like everybody around this thing is so freaking talented. Like everyone online is insanely talented and it's, it's really cool to see people's talents come out. You know, we had unagented people, we had agented people, we had people that hadn't drawn in, you know, 10 years put something out. So I'm just very lucky to be around talented people, really, at the end of the day. Well, with Dark Carnival and Haunted Hotel and these kind of projects, um, are the illustrations paired with a story or are they just sort of um, just spot illustrations in there to, you know, keep the mood going? Um, yeah, 
they were just um, to kind of keep it going. So like for the haunted hotel, the theme was uh, everyone gets a room number. So uh, the illustrations all had a, their own room numbers just as the stories had their own room numbers. So um, as long as it was themed with their room along the lines of the creepy hotel, they were admissible. And, and anyone that's kind of worked with me knows, like, <laughs> I'm pretty relaxed. Like, I don't like to put a lot of rules on things because I really feel like that totally thwarts your creativity. So it, it's pretty <laughs> loose on the rules things going on. But but um, yeah, usually as long as it involves the theme in some way, usually it goes. I've 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 never turned anyone down. Let's just say that. Cool, very cool. They do sound interesting, and and you know next year I'll like not be a chicken shit, and I'll actually talk to you about it. <laughs> Love to have you. <laughs> so um, before I let you go, I did want to ask about Kindle Worlds, and Brian has a comic story not in comic form like um i've done something similar he has a novella for exo manowar and i got to write a short story about athena voltaire for the athena voltaire comic book but it's actually a prose story that's going to go in a prose anthology with illustrations so and that's all run by steve bryant so um I know very little of Valiant Comics, Brian, because I am now a fan of Faith ever since she got her own miniseries. Uh-huh. I love Faith. Um, I might try the new Harbinger's uh, Renegades thing that's, you know, where she's part of a team. I kind of like her on her own, so I don't know how I feel about the team. But, um, w- you know, explain to people in case they don't know what Kindle Worlds is and how you got involved with Exo Mana War. So, uh, and believe it or not, like I'm not a huge Valiant person either, but they were one of the first companies to sign up for Kindle Worlds, which is basically um, sort of Amazon's licensed fan fiction arm where you can uh, basically sign on to write a short story or, or a novella or even a novel about, um, although I think with Kindle Worlds, they're mostly shorter works about any number of licensed properties and there's uh, from television shows to comic books to um, some uh, some fictional worlds from novel series and things like that have now become a part of this Kindle World series and Valiant was I want to say maybe the first comic book company to jump out there and to put their properties out there to be available to have stories written about them and so I had read a couple of things from Valiant new when they basically relaunched themselves and so I decided to try my hand at it. So I had been reading Exo Manowar up until that point, which is, um, you know, it, it's about a guy who is a Visigoth warrior who ends up finding like an alien suit of armor and becomes this uh, this sort of warrior king. And so, uh, and I probably just described it horribly for people who are Valiant fans. They're probably like, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But I had <laughs> written, I had written these uh, this story where I went back to the beginnings of the character and sort of created a villain that could have existed around the same time that he first um, ended up finding the suit of armor and all this kind of stuff. And so I had wrote, I had written this story about this particular villain and had left it open-ended in case I ever wanted to bring that particular villain back. But it was super fun because it, I had not written fan fiction before because like writing horror, I kind of use all of my, mashups of things that I love in my horror books anyways. And so I, there wasn't really a property out there that I was, um, 
you know, looking to write fan fiction for or anything. But I tried my hand with Kindle World and I really liked it. And since that time, there have been other companies that have come on. And one of the ones that is available now is G.I. Joe. And as oh. if I wasn't nerdy enough before, I am a humongous G.I. Joe fan. Humongous G.I. Joe a- fan. Big franchise. It is, and and super big. There's a couple of obscure characters in the history of GI Joe that I am like a super diehard fan of, and they're characters that nobody else cares about. And so there are a couple of stories that I am absolutely going to write for Kindle Worlds, just to have the stories out about these two characters that I absolutely love. And so I definitely want to go back and do more of it. I just haven't gotten back to it over the past few years, but I really I, I like that it exists. And I'm always sort of checking in to see what properties are now part of Kindle Worlds because there are, there are definitely some that I would absolutely write for. Okay, well, let me ask, what is the difference between a Kindle Worlds project and a licensed IP project? I've talked to people like Jeremy Whitley, for example, who have written My Little Pony for IDW, and that's owned by Hasbro, you know, so... Um, they have to then send their stories off for approval by the corporations to sign off on before something actually goes. So how does Kindle Worlds work? I would say that they probably give you more latitude with Kindle Worlds. Um, There are definitely rules, and each property that they have in Kindle Worlds has sort of a short set of rules that you have to follow. Um, And I can't remember particularly what the ones for Exo Manowar were, but when you submit your story, they do vet the story to make sure that it is you know, meeting that rule set. But the rule set for Kindle Worlds, at least for Exo Manowar, was very small. Whereas for most of these licensed properties that are coming through, uh, that are licensed to the comic book companies, there's like a Bible of rules that they have to follow. And so, you know, for like My Little Pony, for example, I'm sure that there is a ridiculous amount of rules that you have to follow because you're also talking about toy merchandising and t-shirts and, you know, books and animated series and all this other kind of stuff that, um, you know, because those those comic books are out on shelves every month, if you make a misstep with a particular character or if you, you know, go in a different direction than what they want their branding to be, I'm sure that that is something that they just cannot abide. And so in those companies have to do right by their licensees in order to keep those um, licenses. And so, so, yeah, I think there's probably a lot more rules when it comes to the comic book stuff. But for Kindle Worlds, the rules are are, you know, pretty much like try to stay in the spirit of what this particular property is and not go too overboard and not make it too graphic and that kind of stuff, unless that's what the property is. Um, But I haven't heard from anyone that they had like a story rejected by Kindle Worlds, like, um, but I know there is an approval process before it goes up. Okay. And so then does the, who sets the price then on that? I think they do. Because okay. I think mine is 99 cents, if I'm not mistaken. It might be more than that, but I think they set the price for that. And, and I think they set it based on the length of your story in comparison to other uh, Kindle Worlds projects that they have out there. But I'm pretty sure I did not get to set the price for that one. Okay. All right. So, Jolene, are, are you a comic book nerd at all? Don't hate me, but I'm not. But it's okay. I, I, I cannot that, hate though. you. Oh, I cannot hate so, you. No, so no. I... So let me permit it with this. It's not that I don't like them. I just grew up with zero experience with comic books, like ever. No one in my family, siblings, nothing, I had ever read comic books. So I just wasn't around them. And then I took a class in high school, or sorry, in college, and it was all about reading graphic novels, which I kind of felt was like 
the stepstone kind of for people who weren't into or knew a lot about comics. I read graphic novels and I really liked them. And so it's I, the same thing. It's just a fancier word. Yeah, yeah. And so, so anyway, so then Brian, who's a huge comic book fan, has actually gotten me more into them. He he knows so much more about them than I do, but he's always like, "Hey, you should really check this one out." I, I had no idea that there were like, and this is just shows my ignorance. I didn't know that there were like horror type of comic books that I would really enjoy. I've since been corrected, but. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to get more into them. But for me, it's a slow process because I'm just – there's so much to learn, <laughs> so much to that's, read. But that's exactly – no, that's wonderful. It's wonderful, and it's exactly why I love to follow certain bloggers on, on Twitter, for example, because um, because they talk about things like accessibility. We talk about things like the new um, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, for example. A friend of mine, Jesse, who writes for Amber Unmasked, it loves Kamala Khan and, you know, and it's one of those things where it's because it started fresh. There was no, you know, 70 year baggage of, you know, of what the character had been through brand new character. And you have to sort of, you have to find that you have to know what genre you like. When I was in the comic book store all the time, people would come in with that exact same thing. They're like, I don't know where to start. And I'm like, talk to them about their TV shows that they like, talk to them about the movies they like, talk to them about what else they read. I got into comics um, besides reading things like Bugs Bunny as a little kid. I mean, I didn't get into them until much, much later in life. And it was, you know, I was in my 30s. I loved Buffy. I had been watching G4 TV like a big old nerd. Um, yep, and, I was right there with you. And Blair Butler was talking about the Buffy series and Marvel Civil War. And that is when I started shopping around for comic book stores. And I was treated like crap in most of them until I got to Comic Fusion in Flemington. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, Jolene, I don't know how you're, you know, if he's loaning you books or recommending them and then you're buying them, how you're doing it. But it's like sometimes I, I've just seen a new, uh, a new issue, you know, uh, it's not like it's not like it's a new issue, but it's a new uproar, if you will, of women being tra- being treated badly in comic book stores again. And this resurfaces. And it goes away for a while, and then it resurfaces again. Um, you know, like one store that it was so vile, where apparently, like, guys would somehow, they called their stockroom, you know, like a really vile name, because they're, they would try to get girls back there. I mean, it was just, like, appalling stuff that you don't want to believe actually happens in the fun, happy world of cartooning. Yeah. But, you know, so, you know, so now there's, you know, you're obviously really into Kindle because it's where you're publishing, you know, your books. So now there's things like Comixology and all these other platforms, um, Stila, which I don't know. I don't have, I think that's Apple only, but, um, you know, so I don't know how you're buying books, but obviously there's like, it's, it's a good time to be a new reader in my opinion. Yeah. Brian sent me some comics on Comixology and, the most recent one, though, he sent me two physical copies of the Gotham Academy uh, comics, which I really, really like. Yeah, those look adorable. I have not read them yet. Oh, they're but so they, great. Uh, they're really they good. Adorable. But, like, for yep. me, like, I think of – I'm a – like, my writing is very visual because everything that I reference is, like, an 80s horror movie. So I think in – that's how I think of things. Like, I always think of, like – when I'm writing a scene, like where the camera's positioned and what the angle is on this and all that kind of stuff. And so comics for me are a great almost shorthand to talk about 
like when Julian and I are talking about a project of like, oh, you know what? It kind of reminds me of this, or it's like this meets this, or it's this meets this meets this. And and that's how we kind of talk about a lot of stuff when we're talking about the feel of what we want to uh, evoke. And so a lot of times I'll be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to send you these two uh, comics because they really sort of fit the vibe of the type of story that we're trying to tell and, and stuff like that. And so I, I'm kind of that way with music too, where I'll be like, Oh, you have to listen to this because it matches this perfectly that, you know, that we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so comics has been a great way for Jolene and I to kind of kick ideas back and forth of like, this is what I was talking about when we were, you know, talking about this particular concept or these guys really nailed this the way that they, they sort of um, implemented this visually or the atmosphere of this or that kind of stuff. And so, um, so yeah, I'm constantly like <laughs> pushing stuff okay. at Jolene saying, Oh, read this, try this, check this out. Um, there's a bunch of X-Files comics that we've been sort of kicking back and forth to for a, um, for a project that we're, that we're kind of working on and the X-Files is, is an influence on it. Cool. Well, I'm going to give you guys homework. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. First is the graphic novel. I killed giants. Oh, uh, that is one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. Okay. But yes, so, I will happily read it again. Good. So it's Joe Kelly and Cam. I'm, I'm going to butcher his last name. Nomura. Yep. And uh, so they're going to be, that's being turned into a show, I believe. I don't think it's a movie. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a TV show. I don't know. But anyway, it's been optioned for something other media-ish. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's one of my favorite graphic novels. And if, you know, if you ever played D&D, I highly recommend it. Um, the other books that I recommend, especially because you're horror nerds and you also like action and adventure, will be um, Archie Comics has a horror line. And I just finished reading the Sabrina, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, because I loved Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. I love her. I didn't know there was so, a comic. There's, yeah, so the comic that I was originally reading was very sort of um, anime style, um, manga style, I should say. Um, it was, it wasn't reverse order like Japanese books, but it was just that sort of drawing It was style. the Tanya Del Rio series, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So this is totally oh, yeah. different. This is, this is freaking scary. The, yeah, the haunted horror chilling adventures thing. They've got in Robert Hack, who is this very brilliant pulp style artist. And he usually just does like variant covers, sort of like Francesco Francavilla. And and it's a very grown up book. Like there are, you know, like, you know, naked women bodies that are, you know, like their hair will be dropping over their breasts. So you can't really see nipples or anything. But it's a, you know, so it's sort of like the grown up version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And it is completely pulp style 60s fiction, like, you know, witches worship Satan. And, um, you know, like they they need to sacrifice living things in order to, you know, to call their master and stuff like that. So um, for those tropes, I kind of, as a witch, I kind of get a little annoyed, like, no, we don't. But, um, but from a reader perspective of comics, I'm like, this is brilliant. <laughs> oh, that that's such a good series. That, that Sabrina yeah. one, the afterlife with Archie series is really good. The zombie series that they do, but the Sabrina one is like 10 shades darker than that. Oh, it's amazing. So, so you have that. And then also, if you're not interested in, you know, characters that have a 70 year history, like trying to read Wonder Woman and Batman right now, forget it. Um, Action Lab uh, puts out Raven the Pirate Princess. 
Uh, that sounds and right up my alley. <laughs> Raven the Pirate Princess is badass. It's a team of female pirates, and they have all different sexualities, and they're just a diverse cast, like, um, you know, like, short, tall, like, one of them's half-elf, but mostly it's just, like, you know, different ethnicities of human, but... Um, but at least there is some fantasy element that one of them is very, you know, sort of sprightly. And there is something to love about every single one of their characters. Awesome. I'm so. definitely going to check it out because especially the last one, I'm obsessed with pirates. So this is great. <laughs> yes. So Raven, the pirate princess, and there's been several different artists on it. So I'm not sure exactly who's, who's drawing it right now, but it's consistent art. And that's one of the things when you switch artists, you might w ever worry about, yeah. but it's really consistent art and action lab um, is the publisher. Jeremy Whitley is the, one of the original creators. Um, so I think he's still writing it, but it's sort of like this big team of people involved in making that book happen. So they all deserve credit for how wonderful it is. Action lab has really become uh a much more major player over the past few years. And I, I like the, they also licensed some stuff from full moon, which does the puppet right. master series and stuff, which is totally right up my alley. So I read a lot of their, of their horror stuff, but you mentioned um, Joe Kelly, who is one of my favorite creators in comics. And I kill giants is one of the greatest books of all time. He did a storyline for amazing Spider-Man. That is like my favorite Spider-Man story of all time. It's issues number 617 and 625 of Amazing Spider-Man. And it is about the rhino. And it is a story about how the rhino was kind of out of being a villain and got sucked back in to being a villain. And it is one of the most heartbreaking stories that I've ever read in a comic book. And it's in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, which is like the most mainstream comic of all time, but it was when they had a bunch of people working on Spider-Man uh, before Dan Slott took over the run by himself. And it is just an absolutely wonderful story. And he did Deadpool and he's done a ton of other stuff too. But Joe Kelly is one of my favorite creators out there. Yeah. And just seems like an incredible guy. I've seen him on panels and I felt like I was so starstruck. He's been kind of a friend of the show because Matt has known him for a very long time. And I've, I've met him, you know, several times over the past 10 years. And he is as nice as you think that he would be. He's just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Oh, that's so sweet and wonderful to hear. All right. So now that I have taken up your time and you guys have done me a huge favor by being part of Vodka O'Clock, make sure that uh, you give people your links and social media, whatever you want people to follow. Now's the time to, to promote that. Go for so, it, Jolene. Um, go for it. Jolene's is easy. So you can find <laughs> me, yes. Well, if you can figure out how to spell my name. Uh, my website is JoleneHaley.com, J-O-L-E-N-E, Haley.com. You can find me on Twitter at... Jolene Haley, <laughs> pretty boring. And uh, yeah, hit me up. I'd love to to meet you. And what about Pen and Muse? Is that gonna is that found through JoleneHaley.com, or how is Pen and Muse found? You can find it through my website, but Pen and Muse is also PenandMuse.com. Okay, cool. And, all right, Brian, your turn. So easiest place to find me is cbrianwright.com, uh, which is also my Twitter handle. And if you're interested in comic books and you want to hear Matt and I blab about comics and interview creators, I actually have an interview with Dan Slott that's going to go up this week. Um, then you can go to secretidentitypodcast.com or you can find us on iTunes and all that other good stuff. 
for uh, for Secret Identity, and um, you will frequently see Jolene and I conversing back and forth about silly things on Twitter and you know talking about our stories and stuff like that. So, uh, and if you haven't, if people haven't checked out the Haunted Hotel, go to JoleneHaley.com because there is an entire month's worth of horror stories and artwork that just went up over the past month that is some amazing creators and some wonderful stories. So uh, I would highly recommend that. All free to read. And I have to also say, if you don't mind, that in in preparation of um, coming on your podcast, uh, I picked up Cardiac Arrest, and I'm really, really loving it so far. Thank you. And I guess I should say that it's on sale right now. So if you guys haven't bought it, please buy it. It's fantastic so far. I'm I'm not halfway yet, but I'm pretty close, and I'm really, really liking it. And also I fangirled that you dedicated it to anyone who has ever had a hand in making Murder, She Wrote. I, like, died because I love Murder, She Wrote. Oh, my God. We need to do another hour on this podcast. I know. I know. We have talked about Murder, She Wrote. We've, I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan and Nancy Drew fan. Julian and I are both huge Nancy Drew fans. And so we could totally do a whole other show just about mysteries. Oh, we'll have to do that. I absolutely will take you up on that offer. Um, yeah, I would be thrilled. I would absolutely tickled. I'm glad because I'm glad that you like it because you guys appreciate tropes. And one of the things that I was doing with cardiac arrest was specifically going on the, you know, rich, pe- rich blonde people and specifically rich blonde people are like really the evil ones. Well, <laughs> so. it, it, like, it, but in mysteries, again, you're going to have to push us out the door because we just talk all day long. But it, the, the whole thing about like with horror too, like it's fun to play with those tropes, right? I mean, that to me is one of the things that you come to those genres for is to see what your particular take on those tropes are, how you execute those tropes. Like in a lot of ways, we kind of know what to expect when we, when we get into horror or we get into mystery, but it half the fun is seeing like, how do you put those pieces together? Yeah. Yeah. So we will, we will reschedule a part two, a mystery special and we'll, (laughs) and we will put a pin in it and get back to that. Because I've absolutely loved having you guys on the show. Thanks for oh, having us. Thank you so much for having us on, and uh, and congrats on an awesome podcast. I was just listening to your most recent episode, and uh, you are constantly bringing on – I don't know how you juggle multiple guests every time on, because that's one of the hardest things to do is actually to have more than one person that you're interviewing at a time, and you uh, you just make it look easy. Thank you. It's usually a technical problem because usually like one person's quality will suck. It's, you know, but um, it's it's great. Usually partners like to talk about each other. That's that's why they're partners and why they love each other so much. So it's great. Love you, Brian. I love you, too. <laughs> we, love you too. Right. we love you, too, Amber. You know. yeah, I we love, love you, too. guys, It's a big too. love fest. It is. It is. Thank you for having me in your writing cabinet. It's meant the world. Yes. Thank uh, you for coming. That's awesome. We, we have such a great group this year. And, and that is uh, the best thing about NaNoWriMo is community. And this is another example of that. Exactly. It is. That's what that's what really kept me in there. Um, so I've appreciated that. So if you guys are interested, I do have some blog posts up about NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, if you forgot. Um, I journaled it the last couple of years and how how I did and my steps in using Scrivener. And I've done that similar sort of thing this year with, you know, like updated, like lessons I've learned and why I've, you know, if I've changed part of the process at all. And, um, you know, I'm just going to keep talking about it on Twitter. Obviously, there's hashtags for NaNoWriMo. 
And um, I do have some other writing guides up at amberunmasked.com, such as the, like how to handle difficult writing of things like, um, you know, the, if you're going to write about sexual assault against women, how to handle that better. I have a whole series of blog posts just about that topic. But uh, I do appreciate people following me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. Everything else is at Amber Unmasked. And you can sponsor the show and my work at patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked. So stay tuned until next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.